Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Tom Noser, founder and president of Fortunes Path. Welcome, Tom. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. It's great being here. Tom, let's just give everybody here a little bit of context. Can you tell me a little bit about you and your background and what you guys are doing at Fortunes Path? Sure. So uh, I've been in product management probably for before anybody knew that was a thing. Uh, I started out as an education researcher at Vanderbilt, helping bring products to market. And we created fantastic products, but we botched the go-to-market. Um, so I, I learned a lot uh, when I was at Vandy about how people learn. And my experience in education there has informed my perspective on product management ever since. So one of the things we do at Fortune's Path is we try to focus a lot on getting smarter through the product development process. And we focus on five critical questions to understand how to create a product people will love. And we try to answer those questions with a high degree of authority. Awesome. And I know one of the things that you guys have is, is sort of um, 12, do you call them 12 steps? Yeah. The 12 steps of product management. Yep. Excellent. And one of them, it's one of my absolute favorites, which is make a decision to love your customers. And that yes. is what I want to explore today. Great. So first, what does that mean? When you put that as, I think it's step five, maybe? <laughs> it's actually, it's step three is oh. uh, make a decision. That's okay. It's make a decision to love our customers. So when, when people talk about loving our customers all the time, and I think we throw that term around without really thinking very much about what we're committing to and what that means. So a loving relationship is based on trust. And it's also based on a desire to get to know your, your partner uh, at a, a very deep level. And I think product managers and businesses in general should strive to know their customers exceptionally well. And to do that, you have to develop a relationship based on trust and honesty. So what are some of the ways that you recommend people do start to love? Not just make the decision, but then sure. how do you get to know them? Right. Do something with it. Well, it, um, I'll, I'll answer that in a second, but I want to talk a little bit about the why it's important to make the decision. Um, we fall short a lot of the times in our relationships, in business or personally, in making a commitment to love others. and. Uh, but we have to remember that we've made that decision. So when we, when we fall short, don't get too down. Just remember that you've made that decision. And when you're thinking about the kind of communication you want to have with your customers and you're looking at how you're, you're crafting that communication, remind yourself that you've made a decision to love your customers. Um, so on a practical basis in communication, what that means is you're going to communicate with honesty and with respect, but you don't have a right to worry your customers unnecessarily. So just like it's a bad idea for uh, a parent or caregiver to go to uh, the children in their care and say, I'm three months behind in the rent and I'm really worried. I'm, I'm quoting a, um, uh, a comedian there. That's terrible, I'm uh, blanking on his name. Um, and uh, anyway, it's, it's, you don't have a right to go to the people who you work with or uh, who you're, you're communicating with as customers and worry the heck out of them with some news. 
Um, and so in that communication, you do want to emphasize the positive, but not in such a way as to be misleading. And it's Dave Chappelle. That was who I was trying to Ah, <laughs> And I think one of the things that's interesting when you talk about love is not just the level of, of depth, the commitment, right? You get married, yeah. you don't just go, he frustrated me today, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> but loving also does require a deep understanding and it's a deep yes. understanding of both the good and the bad, right? I mean, our customers have things that frustrate us, but those aren't things we should um, pretend we don't know, right? It's part of embracing the whole piece. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. So I think um, one of the things in a service business like I'm in that can be frustrating is customers ask for one thing, but they need something else. And to be able to present them with what they really need and deliver that, you have to earn their trust through the relationship. And so sometimes you're taking an SOW that you know um, is really to, it, it's gonna give them some value, but the real value is what you're kind of deliver sometimes between the cracks. Um, and so you have to work that in, in the context of the engagement that you've created. And hopefully when you win that trust, then they engage you to do something about what they really need rather than what they thought they needed. Um, and customers, um, uh, well, a lot of times in product we'll ask customers uh, tell me about the problem. And it can get frustrating because often they don't know how to verbalize it. They don't really know how to describe what the problem is. They know they don't feel good. They know they're out of alignment, but they don't know why. And so that, that process of digging, you really have to have a desire to help and to get to the answer and to, to uh, analyze the information you're getting without taking things at face value. Um, and so just like in any loving relationship, sometimes uh, we'll hide things from each other because we think that um, it's just a subject we don't want to bring up. Customers will do that with us too. One of the hardest things to do is to get really frank, helpful feedback from your customers. Sometimes mm -hmm. they'll just say, oh, everything's great. And then they cancel. And you're like, well, why did you cancel? And they say, well, we actually weren't getting this, this, and this, but they didn't want to bring that up in the course of the relationship. You only find that out after the fact. There's so much good stuff to unpack there, Tom. I, I think, it, and it does, it's such a great parallel to the relationships we have in our personal life right. where, um, you know, what you talked about sort of like, you think you want that customer, but you really want this. If I don't have love, if just some random person on the street is like, you think you like that shirt, but it looks terrible on you. That would not <laughs> be a positive conversation, right? right? But like, you know, but, but it's different if, I, if we both have had that open discussion and I right. know that you are looking out for me, right. then that comment is very different. And, and yet it makes for those best relationships when you can do almost that tough love piece, mm -hmm. but it does require authentic and deeper engagement. Um, which is sort of, I think, where that love idea comes in. Um, all right, so let's dig a little bit in about how how we love and understand our customers more. Sure. What are you, what are your favorite <laughs> avenues of doing that? Well, it absolutely starts with listening. I mean, it's obvious, but uh, it's often overlooked. Um, I was with a, a client yesterday who's in a um, an early startup situation, and we were having lunch with um, with a potential partner. And my client um, is working his tail off, like most uh, CEOs of early startups, really, really bright, hardworking, dedicated guy who talked for an hour and a half straight. And he talked so much, he didn't even get a chance to eat his lunch. Um, 
and it it was tough to watch because he's work he's doing everything he can to make that business succeed but he missed an opportunity to learn is when we're talking we're typically not learning um so you, we have to start with listening and that it also starts with being able to hear not just what someone says but sort of how they say it and to empathize with them enough to understand how they're feeling about the situation and where where is their agenda in there so uh, that's definitely where it starts that was a good old saying goes, you've got uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that ratio. Uh, right. One of the things that we talk about, of course, is the the Nihito, the market visits. And I, I think that those are exactly what we'd say is go out and listen. You yeah. are there to observe and to listen right. and to ask more probing questions, but not okay. because you have a specific agenda. Yeah, there's a phrase in, in product I like is uh, love the problem, not, not your solution. Mm. And we we jump to solutioning all the time. And it's a little bit like, you know, so you're having a conversation with your teenager and uh, they tell you, well, I'm, I'm feeling bad at school. And then as a parent, I'll have a hundred suggestions as to how they can make this better. Not one of which they're gonna hear. Because <laughs> I, I haven't established that I really, I, I care about their situation. And, and sometimes, you know, particularly with teenagers and actually sometimes with customers too, they don't necessarily want you to jump out with a solution. You don't have to start kind of vomiting your product features all over somebody to convince them that, um, that you've got the solution to their problem. You first need to establish that you understand their problem and you care about it. Absolutely. Everybody wants to feel heard and everyone, uh, if nothing else, believes that their situation and their problems are unique. And if you don't listen, then you're not respecting that part. Yeah, I think that that also goes back to that making the decision to love your customers. There's an awful lot that flows downstream from making that decision. It involves how you communicate, what kinds of commitments you make, how you charge, what kind of a relationship you're trying to build long term with customers. Um, there, there's a trend that I see in uh, business that can lead to extremely successful companies that have really uh, destructive relationships with their customers. And um, we, we tend to allow ourselves to become addicted to certain products. Um, so an, an early example of this you could say is um, certainly tobacco or oil. These are companies, these are or industries that as consumers, we became addicted to them. And um, those are obviously unhealthy relationships long-term, uh, one for the planet, one personally. And um, the, uh, so that is not a loving relationship with your customers. Um, and so I'm not saying that as a, a company that makes a commitment to love its customers, you can't be profitable. That's absolutely not true. Profitability is incredibly important to the stability of a company and its ability to serve customers. But I think profitability at the, ex, at the uh, expense of morality uh, isn't something I would endorse in my business or, or ask others to endorse in theirs. And so one test to hold up to the ethics of your company is, is this something I would do to someone I love? Um, and I think sometimes we fall short of that. 
No, and it's a good point, right? It doesn't mean that we all need to be nonprofits. To your right. point, I, don't, I can't right. service myself or my customers if I'm right. that way. But right. if the only thing, the mm. only decision factor in there right. is selfish, that that's different as well, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that one of the mistakes um, I think businesses make is actually undercharging. When you undervalue what you're doing, it be, can become undervalued in the market. Um, even though uh, price is never a perfect uh, proxy for value, it's about as close as a proxy as we have. Yeah. And so if you're not pricing something correctly, you're underpricing it, for instance, you can be communicating the wrong value to the market. And you may have something that people really need and really like and can really benefit from and actually drive them away by pricing it too slowly. I mean, excuse me, too low. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's a terrific uh, story about um, George Washington University. It was in the New York Times 10, 15 years ago. And the story is about how George Washington University improved its prestige. And one of the ways, and, and attracted a lot more candidates, one of the ways that it did it was it began charging more. And it, it, it ratcheted up its tuition over a period of years where it became one of the most expensive colleges in the country. And it attracted a ton more applicants. I'm not using that as an example of loving your customers. I think that's, there's, there's a certain sort of perverse psychology and how that worked. And it certainly worked for that university. Um, but it does show how we relate to price and that honest pricing or, or sort of transparent pricing where you're honest with yourself about that value and what the market will bear. Um, and so there, there are complicated ethics when it comes to pricing. Now, it's true, both the high and low. So mm -hmm. when we talk about making a decision to love your yeah. customers, is it really yeah. just as easy as being like, hey, this is, this is my decision. This is going to be my focus. This is my goal. Is there other ways that people can make that concrete or maybe even spread throughout the organization? Yeah, I think you can definitely spread it throughout the organization. So I'm a huge believer and um, a uh, principle-driven business. And that starts with some kind of um, uh, mission, vision, business principle statement. I worked at Hellstream for a long time, had a great experience there. And one of the things that I thought was a major differentiator was they had a corporate constitution. Mm. And it stated their business principles in that constitution. So you can state, we've made a decision to love our customers and hold each other accountable so I've been in businesses where they have the mission statement on the wall. It's in maybe in every conference room. Nobody knows it. Nobody can say it. Nobody ever mentions it in ordinary conversation. You, the first step is to write those things. But if they sit on the wall and do nothing, they're worthless. Um, I, I had a, a leader who I worked with who used to say, um, uh, strategy without execution is nothing. And my counter to that was execution without strategy is just busyness. It hmm. requires both. You have to have both to know the direction that you're going in and making a core value. We are going to love our customers is a super important way uh, to, to spread that and to establish that in daily conversation. So you mentioned a little about we have sometimes we'll have customers who annoy us. And so if I'm responding to an email that I got at 5 a.m. on Saturday from a customer who, for whatever reason, seems bent out of shape. If I pause 
and I think about, I have made a decision to love this customer. How am I going to respond to this email? The same can be said for our coworkers. You know, you can, if you make a decision, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try to love my coworkers as well. How would I respond to someone where I've made that decision? So that making that decision, I, I can't uh, overemphasize how important it is to make and commit to that decision. And to remind yourself that you've made that decision and go back to it over and over and over again throughout the course of the day. And so um, sometimes, you know, when, when we're frustrated in our work, if we stop and we think about what it is that we're actually trying to achieve, and I'm trying to help the people I work with, I'm trying to help the people who are my customers, it can take some relieve us of some of that anger and frustration that comes from that feeling, that sort of feeling of impotence when we feel like we're not, we're not really making a difference. We're just sort of answering emails and being busy or we're not making progress. And if you come back to that decision, I have decided to love these customers. What is the next right thing to do for them? What is the thing that can do that we can do for them that maybe cuts through that clutter of why I feel impotent and why I feel like I'm not spending my time on the important things? Because making that commitment to love should also help us with prioritization. Mm. Prioritization is a super duper important part of being a product manager. I like that idea of setting it as a big strategic goal, mm-hmm. but then pulling it through in all manners of how you execute, right? Yes. Reminding yourself to not just, yes, right. that's my big umbrella statement that makes me feel good, but here's how I'm putting that into action. Exactly. I, I think strategy gets a bad name. Yeah. And I think it, it gets a bad name a lot of times because we confuse it with tactics. Um, and so people will write tactics and they'll call them strategy and everybody gets confused and they think like strategy is a lot of hooey. <laughs> I think strategy is unbelievably important yep. and, and is potentially world changing. So um, I have a uh, I'm reading a, a biography right now about uh, President Eisenhower and also when he was General Eisenhower. And. The strategy of the Second World War was unbelievably simple. Hitler first. So if the United, the United States was attacked by the Japanese Empire and the, we declared war on Japan first and then about a week or so later, Germany and uh, the other Axis powers declared war on the United States, it would have been easy to say, we got to go to the Pacific and settle this score. And uh, we might have lost. Hmm. And so... Um, uh, Roosevelt and, and uh, the Joint Chiefs made the decision that they were going to do, they were going to deal with Hitler first. And from that strategy, unbelievably simple strategy, came an enormous number of important decisions that followed. Wow. I got a little off track about loving customers, but just. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that, that again, strategy in, right. it doesn't have to be complicated, but, but no. it is powerful. And I yeah. think sometimes it also gets a bad name because some PMs people develop a strategy, mm-hmm. but not the tactics that relate to it. Like they think of strategy and tactics as two completely right. separate items and don't try to right. connect them. Right. And like my strategy is to love my customers, but I'm going to try and uh, get every penny from them at every, you know, interaction and won't take, right. I'm, won't I'm be flexible. To make, I'm going to make them addicted to me where they have no right. choice, but to give me their money. That doesn't sound like you're executing your strategy. Your tactics don't align with your strategy. Yeah. And so it's like one, if, so let's, I think let's, let's talk about that. So suppose you make that your strategy. We're going to love our customers. What does that mean? Well, it starts with getting to know them, which is what product market fit really is about. 
is can I understand their problem in a way that I can present a solution where they go, oh, that will help. And there's a ton of things you can monitor to understand about whether or not you're in that relationship with your customers. There should be excitement on both sides, excited about engagement with customers. Customers should be excited about engaging with us. That's certainly one of the, the hallmarks, certainly of early love. Uh, is that sense of excitement. And so when you're having those initial conversations with your prospects and with your customers, are they excited about talking with you? And if it, if it all feels like they're kind of going through the motions, you haven't established that love relationship yet. Hmm, that makes sense. Are there companies that you feel mm -hmm. love their customers well? Um, you know, I think Starbucks actually does um, a pretty good job with this. Um, and so they have created uh, an environment that people want to come to. And they hire and train people in a way where they seem like they want to be there. And they're glad to be in that environment. Um, they um, treat their employees respectfully and they offer them a set of benefits that uh, allow them to be there and to, to project um, a desire to be there, uh, which I think feeds to their customers. Um, Starbucks does a lot of listening to its customers. They have a, they've gone through a couple of different iterations of my Starbucks idea where the people can submit ideas to them and then they'll, uh, they communicate back. That's a common problem we have when we ask our customers for ideas is those ideas just go into a black hole Starbucks established a whole online process where uh, they respond back and they talk about what ideas have been incorporated uh, into their, uh, into the experience in their stores. So I think that's a good example. Great. All right, Tom, we've talked about a lot of different stuff today. Mm -hmm. If you were going to have people do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would mm -hmm. it be? First, look at how you communicate with your customers. Do you have a regular cadence of keeping them informed about your work for them? Because people don't like to be surprised. Mm -hmm. They like to feel like that you're keeping them in the flow of information about uh, what you're doing for them. That could be the status of their cases, the status of their enhancement requests. Uh, it can be about not necessarily just new features that are coming up, but other customers in your organization, how they're succeeding. Loving your customers, an awesome way to do that is to praise them in public, to find people who are uh, champions of your product, who are succeeding with your product, and to communicate about them to the rest of, the, of your, not just your existing customer base, but all of those people who you want to become your customers. So I would, the first thing I'd do is I'd start with, uh, how are you communicating with your customers? Do you have a regular cadence for that? Do you have a structure for how you communicate with that? And the second one is, are you thanking them? Are you doing things like writing thank you notes? Uh, are you doing things like customer profiles where you're talking not about your product, but about how this person how succeeded, how they solved the problem in their organization? Are you shining the light on your customers in a way where you get to praise them in public? So those are two. I think that's a great point, right? So it's how do you communicate with them? And then how are you demonstrating that love mm -hmm. in, yeah. in public ways yep. um, so that it's not so that it can be more tangible for them and maybe more meaningful. Yes. All right, Tom, this was a great discussion. I really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it, uh, Rebecca. Thank you so much. 
All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 